the big question for this podcast is what music to use, by the way. I was going to like do an incredibly pretentious silence, but I can't think of anything else that represents negativity. Is what that... do we think of when people die, like killing songs? That's not a bad idea. I could do a funeral march, but that would kind of give away the bias <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the piece. No, wow. no, funeral march is good. Um, normally speaking, I'd have Cardiff to say start the music, so I might just say start the music myself. And... Hello and welcome to Alpha Chat, FD Alphaville's increasingly frequent podcast. I'm David Kiohan in London, and I'm joined by Izzy Kaminska in Geneva. Hi, Izzy. Hello. And Simon Hendrickson, ex-alpha villain and our master of coin in Copenhagen. Uh, hello, hello, Simon. Hey. Um, we're going to talk about negative rates a bit, and I think we're going to try and be reasonably brief while doing so. We may fail. Negative interest rates on deposits is the idea, and they're kind of like safety deposit charges. The idea um, is that they should incentivize banks to lend out money rather than suffer an erosion of capital. Both Izzy and Simon live in countries where negative rates are a bit of a reality already. And at the last ECB press conference, Mario Draghi said the ECB, quote, had an open mind over whether to introduce negative deposit rates in the eurozone. It's not the first time it's been floated, but, you know, it seems like they're getting a little bit more serious about this. What do the ECB want to achieve? We don't really know because negative interest rates are a bit of a shot in the dark. If I was to guess, I'd say they might be just proving that they're not at the lower bound and maybe putting out a bit of a currency threat to the Japanese central bank. Uh, the idea being that negative interest rates would be negative for the euro, and if they really got lucky, it'd incentivize some risk-taking in the markets, it might ease credit conditions, and it might push cash from strong banks to weak banks. That's all might. We, we don't really know, and it could just be horribly contractionary, um, which is, I think, Izzy's thesis. Ah, uh, yes, well... It's not just that it's contractionary. I think it's um, it's a strange kind of step through the looking glass. Um, once you go through, neg- you know, the negative rate boundary, strange things ha- start to happen. And um, I mean, it's not that rates are negative rates are inconceivable. They are very possible. And I believe, from what people have told me, that many many banks have been adjusting their systems to deal with negative rates because. It just never was an issue before. But um, but there are lots of things we don't know about what will happen, and it's very counterintuitive. And, yes, in some sense, negative rates should be a hugely stimulative um, maneuver because you don't want to keep your... Why would you keep your money on deposit if you have to pay a charge for it? I mean, it just makes no sense, right? But at the same time, it's all relative. And if you think there is going to be deflation, then a small fee on your deposits is still worthwhile. Mm. And the risk really is whether um, whether the negative rate um, move signals the fact that we are in, in a deflationary spiral a little bit, um, in which case hoarding gets worse as more and more people are inclined to, you know, take a little hit on their deposits it just gets worse and worse is it also worth 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 mentioning that if the ecb do cut the deposit rate they'll probably cut um reduce the rate they pay for excess reserves in the current account or else people would just shift well they'd have i mean it just wouldn't be logical because otherwise everyone would just keep the you know they wouldn't transfer over to the deposit account yeah um 
be completely pointless <laughs> if they didn't. I mean, it would just be, uh, you know, window dressing otherwise. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine they'd have to. So you're, like, really quite pessimistic about this. Wouldn't ease credit conditions, would incentivize hoarding, not going to help banks in the periphery. Yeah, and also it's, I mean, you just have to see what happened to the euro when this was first, like, uh, put out there. When um, the ECB's rather confusing communication strategy started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and there is a chance that it's just a bluff, you know, still <laughs> now, <laughs> still ongoing bluff. I, I really think the issue is when you get negative rates, there is a huge incentive to basically take money out of the reserve system completely because there's no point in keeping it in a reserve system that charges you any money, especially if you can just transform all those reserves into hard banknotes and put them in vaults, right? And the, the act of uh, taking out reserves and transforming them into banknotes, that's actually very, very uh, contractionary because you are going into full kind of reserve, well, not full reserve, but it's actually the, the, the impact is the equivalent of, of, you know, upping the reserve requirement because banks are choosing to materialize the banknotes and put them in vaults. A vault-backed system. Oh, um, we, we might bring in our Danish master of coin here because we do actually have a real-world example to draw on here. Um, last year, the Danish central bank lowered its deposit rate. Sure. So what we learned is, I think, three things. First, we need to find out how much the money markets actually moved. And in Denmark, both the both the CETA rate and the T-bill auctions actually went negative. So the short-term deposit rates, which the Danish Central Bank actually says now is the main rate for determining uh, money market rates and exchange rates, has a huge impact on that. So that is probably likely to happen in Europe too. The second one is the cost of uh, money to the banks, which you know have to deposit the, their excess liquidity at the central bank. And in Denmark, it costs so far uh, around 150 million which is not a lot compared to the system but it's still not not, it's not too free. well yeah but and you also have to think about if they have to pay money to put money at the central bank where are they going to make up the margins if they have to make up the margins at the lending side it's actually going to be a contractionary move so that's the banks <coughs> passing on the costs of a negative deposit rate onto customers Exactly. And then we have the final one, the probably the most important, how much is this actually feeding through to the real economy? And on the lending side, it hasn't really moved rates that much. It, they've gone down a little bit on the corporate side, but on the household side, it's been basically non-existent. Whereas on the deposit side, the households have held stable too. But on the corporate side, we've actually seen that, according to Nordea, the, the Nordic Bank, the corporates actually get somewhere around uh, half a percent now for for uh, on their deposits at the at the various banks. So we're not really seeing any feeding through on the lending side, but on the deposit side, we are. So I'm not really sure how much of a good expansionary thing this has been. But remember that in Denmark, it wasn't really supposed to be because all Denmark does is really trying to get the, the FX peg stable. Um, right, so, so this in, was in really... the case of Copenhagen, 
uh, in Denmark, sorry, it's just about disincentivizing inflows. Yeah, basically, we just wanted outflows of, of Danish corn, um, and it's been relatively successful in that. So if you just but, want to mess with your exchange rate, go for it. But if not, it's an incredibly dangerous tool. Well, it just yes. encourages outflows. <laughs> I mean, it, it will just encourage that whole hot potato game because people who can move their money outside of the euro will. Yeah, and also it's, it's going to drain liquidity inside because if we take the 150 million Danish kroner that the banks have lost, some way that has to be a proxy for how much liquidity has actually been drained inside the system. Um, so that adds to the to the whole liquidity draining issue. Yeah, you'd imagine as if this does happen, the first thing that's going to happen is ELTRA funds pour back even faster. Yes, yes, precisely. Because there's a penalty associated with holding liquidity, essentially. There's no... Up- it, it, it's, this is what I mean about it all goes a bit weird <laughs> in the negative universe. Things start to misbehave. And the pricing of everything that is... I mean, the cost of money and the time value of money is kind of embedded in all these different securities and asset classes it's a it's a vital component right and when things go negative when your benchmark rates are negative that has a very strange kind of influence on everything else in some ways it will look like everything else is going up in in price and that would make sense because it's not just a risk flow thing it's it's just the fact that you have to account for the cost the actual negative cost of money so holding any asset is effectively um, better. Better. Yeah. <laughs> so and I suppose and we, then and we and we, we've actually seen that in Denmark with the mortgage back securities, which has actually traded on negative rates, just because there is no place for all the excess liquidity to go. So it goes into MBS, which in Denmark are relatively safe, and T bills, which have traded at negative rates for a long time. So you're going to get even more kind of faux bar forced buying of risk, and and I presume like an aggressive behavioural change if this if the, if they were to implement it and hold negative rates for any kind of time. I mean, it's a really dangerous thing to do, surely. Yeah, I would agree with that. You see, the thing is, they don't have really, you know, is John Maynard Keynes had this vision that one day everything would converge to the zero, right, and. You would want to just keep things stable at zero. That was the the intent, right? Because positive rates would just slow the economy down and negative rates would have all these issues that we've, we've just been describing. So the ideal rate at this sort of steady state um, moment in his eyes was zero. And the central bank's job was simply about maintaining that zero and not worrying about any you know, ever like moving it higher or lower because as, you know, the great Truche example showed, we have no capacity for rate hikes, zero. That would make, uh, I mean, that would just bring the whole system down as uh, as the last rate hike kind of showed it would. I'm talking specifically about Europe here. Sure. Um, and negative rates have other equally negative effects. So, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So you might as well just uh, open nothing. up to a lifelong episode of Zero. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think there is an argument inside Europe that you have these whole huge imbalances. If you see how much money is actually parked in Germany and Netherlands, that there is an argument that this could actually 
help on the imbalances to move some of that money to the periphery and help the transmission mechanism. Is, I'm not sure how that, much you can actually make that argument, but is that pre-imposition? It could, it could help. Yeah. Is that pre-imposition though? Is this the negative rate bluff that I know Izzy has written about before? That you actually do get a hot potato effect in advance of the imposition of a of a deposit rate cut, and that's maybe I mean, where the the, the, well, the positives you get, can you come. get people seeking yield, right? And and any opportunity to get yield, therefore, in your in euro terms, and therefore the money will flow. To, it'll, it'll definitely offset and and go into uh, the periphery and anywhere where there's yield to be captured. And certainly, there are you know when it comes to Europe, the one the one thing we've got going for it in a way is that we can have this convergence effect and i think um but eventually everything goes to zero anyway if you keep if we keep under the same pattern because eventually you um german yields can't go any i mean if they do go below zero um any further um i mean they won't at this point i mean it's a, it's always a risk trade off is what i'm trying to say Which- which means, I mean, the, the point then would be, uh, if the ECB must know this is dangerous, that they know about negative rates, and there is other things in, in its toolbox it can use. So uh, it does seem that even if they are semi-serious about introducing negative rates, it's probably quite down the desperate list. Like, it's quite far down on their list of desperate measures they'll be pushed to. But that's a guess. You see, but I, you see, I don't know if it's about... I don't know if it's about desperation or just evolution. I mean, these steps okay. are kind of... There's kind of we're going through the program, so to speak. You know, we've done this, we've done this. This is the next thing, um, and the, and the key problem with negative rates is this potential hoarding situation and outflow problem. So, if they were to do the negative rate thing and they were to take it seriously, then they should um, take uh, note of all the stuff that Willem Bouter has been writing about for years now, which is for negative rates to really be effective, you have to ensure that nobody can hoard banknotes under their mattresses and hide. Is this a loss of control for the the ECB, a potential loss of control for the ECB? Well, yes, there's that side of it. And remember, there are these other things like Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff starts to look really attractive when you have negative rates because people go gold and and all those other commodity kind of securitizations. And if the ECB is serious about negative rates, it would have to encourage people to not move their money there, which is why... Rather than doing negative rates, they should, you know, as I've been sort of writing for a while now, is um, go with the go digital. with digital kind of uh, bank money instead. Yeah, it's kind of cooler too. So go well, for it. Well, it makes sense because then you can um, a they have the, the they have control over over the the money supply still that way. Um, people, if they don't want risk, they can just sit in zero yielding banknotes just. Just like we do nowadays, if you went and extracted all your wealth from the bank and put it in your wallet, uh, no one could touch that unless you burnt it or something. Um, but imagine being able to do that with digital euros instead. And then you've got them in a wallet, and it's nobody else's liability. It's, I mean, apart from the central banks, it is your, there isn't a banking intermediary there, right? So um, if you want to then get some yield or put it, put it you know, in to work or have some risk associated with it, then you can put it into a bank deposit. But then you know, ah, that's risky. I may lose that all. 
You see what I mean? One of the questions is, what, what's the difference between the ECB imposing a negative deposit rate and the confiscation in Cyprus? Well, I, I, it's all becoming very blurred. So what, what, one man's uh, wealth tax, one man's levy, one man's negative rate, it's all, it's all an element of wealth confiscation in nominal terms. But uh, it all depends on the relativity of that wealth. And um, so if you're taking away somebody, uh, say, a certain percentage of someone's wealth by tax or by levy, if it's in a deflationary context, that's, that's a fair tax in a way. But if it's in an inflationary environment, different story. But Simon, I mean, what do you think? I think it's a big difference whether the central bank actually posts a negative interest rate where you have the option of you can just move your money. I mean, they do it today. The negative interest rate is going to go into effect in either in an hour or tomorrow, and you have the chance or opportunity to move your money, whereas in Cyprus, it was kind of like, okay, you had money here on Thursday, too bad Monday. That, that's a good point. Until, of course, the entire world has negative rates, and then you have no chance. <laughs> Gold. Sure, and and it's the same on a macro scale because I mean, overall, the there is a certain amount of money and liquidity, so overall, it's going to be the same. But the individual has the opportunity to move the money. That's true. You can convert it into banknotes. You can put it under your mattress. Exactly. It's it's just such a strange concept to get your head around, you know. And there is this, you know. People who think it's totally manageable are living in la-la land, and, and I don't understand why people are so dismissive about this and making out like it's no big deal. It's a huge big deal. What's, um, <laughs> what's Skepticus's point about it being a, like a managed contraction? If, you know, if, you have, if they put in a negative rates there, it's, it's to manage a contraction in like maybe the Eurozone banking actually, system. I actually, I actually kind of like that point because that, that I think it was... Good point. I, I think it was a commenter on my post, Skepticus, yeah. who wrote that. And and it's kind of right. If you want to manage the the exit for, for something, and I think all the central banks are acutely aware that at this point it's actually the deposit rate, not the lending rate, that's moving moving stuff. Um, this could definitely be like a contractionary thing. I mean, if they want to contract or mm. take money out of the system, it's a very neat way to do it. Well, it's not so much about making money out of the system, I would, I would argue. It's, if you consider that the deposit rate in Europe or interest on reserve in the U.S. is a way, it's a subsidy, effectively. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the central bank giving away interest for free. And even when it's a zero, it's still a subsidy because in the private markets, safe assets would be trading at negative rates already, right? So this whole, like, you can keep your money at, at, on reserve at zero is actually a free subsidy from the state. And if you go to negative rates, you're just taking away the subsidy. Does that make sense? So it's not... Yes, it's not I, think, I think that's a very good point, that it's propping up the rates right now. And yep. and you can kind of see that, because if you go to the market and you see how the T-bill auctions are, if you see how the MBSs are trading right now, I mean, there is way, way too much liquidity to them. I mean, if if the Danish central bank just kept cutting deposit rate, it was it would just keep going down. If you look at the, even the repo rate, which is like the CETA rate, um, I mean, it's tracking the deposit rate fairly accurately. 
the correlation is, is very, very high. And when they hiked the deposit rate, it was almost a one-to-one rise in the in the repo rate and the unsecured lending rate. And the, and what people don't get is that, well, some people think I'm being a bit critical, but the, it's only easing, in terms of easing, if the if the rate provided by the central bank is lower than the private market rate, okay? And if the private market rate is lower than the uh, central bank rate, then it's not easing. You have to work with what the private markets are doing. So you can have zero, but if the private markets are trading at, you know, 0.5, it's not easing at all. Whereas on the way up, it's the same thing. It's not, um, what's the opposite of easing? (laughs) Tightening, um, making life harder. Contraction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when they try to, like... Words escape me, but you know what I mean. Like when they're when they're trying to contain. Um, I'll provide the words if you provide the negative rate smarts. That's a <laughs> that's a fair deal. <laughs> but you know what I mean. When they try to contain um, hawkishness, you know, when they're trying to be e- suppressing uh, the market, sure. so to speak, not easing, then the rate has to be higher than what the private market rate is. Um, we should probably cut this off pretty soon. Actually, we've been we have rambled where we said we would not ramble. We to death by now. Ah, well, if they're not listening, we can just talk about anything now, so it's fine. I love the end of podcasts for that. It's when we get to curse and spread malicious rumors and the sure knowledge there's nobody listening. Um, okay, so I think I'll say thanks to Simon and Izzy. No problem. Yeah. Well, thanks, Simon. Okay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, say happy weekend to everyone listening. And um, if negative rates ever do come into play, good luck. Yeah, happy, happy, happy negative rate time for one and all. <laughs> When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.